Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You're listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline Diarty Edwards and Maria Wickvilla. Maria, of course, is the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline is a former head of admissions at NCOD, who is the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, one of the leading consulting firms for MBA applicants in the world. We are going to talk about a a new phenomena that we're seeing right now in the applicant pool. We've noticed in the traffic to Poets and Quants a significant increase in people who are viewing our site from India. And in our latest center court admissions event, a record 44% of the attendees were from India. I had a conversation yesterday with the CEO of GMAC, and he is seeing similar interest uh, from Indians in U.S. schools. And of course, in many cases, uh, people who do apply to U.S. schools are hoping to land a job in the U.S. once they graduate and stay here. That's very different from the Chinese who now prefer the European schools and who often go back to China with their MBAs. Now, the one difficulty here for Indian applicants is that India is a great source of spectacular talent for all the best business schools, but it's also a part of the applicant pool that is heavily oversubscribed, which makes the competition already severe. And if, in fact, there's newfound interest in U.S. schools because of a new administration and a more welcoming attitude toward immigrants, what does that bode for the Indian applicant in the next admission cycle? And how can you actually differentiate yourself and stand out from the crowd. Let's go to our experts, Caroline and Maria, and see what they have to say in terms of how do you compete in a new highly competitive cohort? Maria. Yeah, sure. So I actually, uh, this might not be a big surprise, but because of Applicant Lab's price point, I actually have a large percentage of my my clientele is from India, right? For you know, rupee to dollar conversion reasons. Um, and so, are you I, seeing an increase in, in that as well in terms of percentage? It's I I can't say that I am necessarily, but only because the percentage has already been high the whole right. the past five or six years that I've had the business. It's always yep. been high, so you know, just because of the value proposition. And so I I have worked uh, quite a bit with with folks from India. And I think there are several key things that are good for them, folks from that country to understand. I think one of the biggest ones is that there's a huge cultural difference in terms of what makes you successful in the academic process in India versus what makes you successful in the MBA process. So in India, as in some other countries, uh, you know, you get into college based on a test, you take the test, and if you score in the top whatever percentage, you get into IIT, and if you don't, you don't get into IIT. And so it's it's a very it, it's it's this idea of like you know in fact it's so it's so major test taking is such a major part of the culture there that it's not uncommon for people to quit their jobs or to take a year or two off sometimes between high school and college just to study for the test. Or um, another one is the civil service exam. Apparently, it's incredibly difficult to get into the civil service. And people, again, will take off one or two years from work just to study for this exam in the hopes wow. of getting this. Yeah. So it's a very different thing. So when I meet some some candidates from India who say things like, well, I'm planning on quitting my job to study for the GMAT, and I react with horror and I say, you can't, don't do that. You're going to shoot yourself in the foot. You know, so the, the, it's, it's, it, I think the, the quickest way, if I had to summarize it would be 
this idea of what got you to where you are now is not going to be the same thing that gets you to the MBA program in the future. So it is not just about academics doing well on one test. It is more about those interpersonal skills, that leadership experience. Um, And since so many people from India, many of them are often coming from technical fields, there is a tendency to say like, well, I am the best computer programmer at my company, therefore I should get into this business school. But they're not thinking about necessarily, first of all, do I have the interpersonal skills that the schools are looking for? And second of all, even if I do, how do I convey that? Right. There's a tendency to say, well, on the resume, I really want to focus on how I integrated a machine learning module that optimized the server load in the cloud (laughs) application. And I'm like, that doesn't you know, even if I understand you, I have to understand what that means. (laughs) Right. And so I think those are if I had to summarize it, those would be some of the some of the main things I tend to see. Plus on the GMAT, let's just uh, sit there right for a minute. Admission directors often expect a much higher GMAT score from Indian applicants than they do from the general pool. And so you have this additional burden to overcome, which puts puts more pressure on test taking, even though uh, what you're saying is absolutely true. You know, you can get a 780 and it means nothing to a school if you don't have, you know, you haven't shown progress in your work experience, if you're not working for a highly selective company, if you don't have a decent role and you, you know, you don't do well in an interview and you're not getting good recs. I mean, it's it's, it's a much more holistic admissions process mm. than what many Indians are used to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, strong academics are pretty much a hygiene factor for Indian candidates because they often have um, very strong undergraduate track records. They've been to top schools. And as you say, they often ace the GMAT. Um, And because of the volume of those candidates, if you don't have that kind of profile, it it is very difficult, unfortunately. Now, I I have huge sympathy for for these candidates. I mean, it's it's such a populous country, right? So so, um, it seems pretty unfair to... Um, be at a disadvantage because you are from one of the world's largest countries with such an enormous population, right? And there's such diversity in India as well, right? It's, um, I mean, the, the different provinces have very different cu- cultures, languages, etc. We tend to sort of lump them all together in one basket. And that's a little bit unfair. And as Marie has said, um, India, the education system is in- intensely competitive. It's a very traditional education system. It's very much sort of rote-based, that rote learning and getting through tests. And as Maria said, that's not, I mean, that that's helpful, but it, there's much more than that that the schools are looking for. And I think that sometimes candidates assume because they've been to a top school and because they have a stellar GMAT, therefore they are automatically a very appealing candidate for, for a top business school. And unfortunately, there's, there are just so many candidates with similar profiles. So, so I think what candidates can do to, to stand out is to you know, better understand what are the typical traits that candidates from this pool are presenting to business school, and then think about how you can differentiate. So as Maria said, you know, one part of that is if you do have a technical background, don't focus on your technical expertise and prowess in your application. And and try to figure out, and it could be tough, right? Because some of these candidates do have quite technical roles, um, yet have achieved great things. So 
So figure out what you've done in your career that has enabled you to develop transferable skills that would be relevant to your post-MBA career and relevant to the classroom. So it may be, you know, communication skills, the team working skills, project management skills. Try to get away from the, the purely technical aspects that are overrepresented in, in that pool. And, you know, frankly, can be a turnoff for the file reader because they might not fully understand what you're talking about either if you get too much into the technical detail. You know, a few years ago, we did a study of the acceptance rate of Indian and, and Chinese applicants at top business schools compared to U.S. citizens. And you can find this on our site. It's the name of the story is Indian and Chinese MBA applicants face much higher rejection rates. We found that in some cases, the acceptance rate for U.S. citizens was four to five times higher than the rate of acceptance for Indian and Chinese applicants. And the reason is because there's so many of them and schools are trying to obviously craft a diverse class of students from different parts of the world. And so with so many Indians in the applicant pool, it makes it just really difficult. And now that we're seeing an increase in the number of people from India who are likely to apply in the next admission cycle, it's going to be that much more difficult. Interestingly enough, the first preference for Chinese applicants is now uh, Europe, Western Europe. And the feeling is that's because of all the saber rattling over trade relations is along with some of the awful uh, attacks on Asian Americans in the U.S., which is turning off Chinese applicants to U.S. business schools right now. Uh, you know, in addition to trying to differentiate yourself in the ways that uh, Caroline just mentioned, are there other things that you can do? In other words, if you are going to apply in the next admission cycle, is it already too late to differentiate yourself in extracurriculars or in getting a, an important project at your company and being a team leader in it? Maria? It might not necessarily be too late. I think I think the bar for leadership goes higher and higher the more elite the program is. So, you know, if you are applying for a Harvard or a Stanford or a Wharton and you don't have you know, that habit of leadership as Harvard phrases it, which I think is such a good way to phrase it. Like if you can't show that this is who you have been your whole life and not just who you're pretending to be for the past six months to bolster your application, you know, I think that that helps tremendously. Now that having been said, since I do advise everyone to spread their risk and apply to many programs across the competitiveness spectrum, uh, it's not necessarily too late. But I do think that it's important for candidates from India to, you know, as Caroline was saying, to understand that what are what are these what are these uh, admissions committees looking for, right? Is it simply that somebody is in charge of something, or is it also that the way in which they lead is a good way? Because someone could be in charge of something and they could scream at everyone and be abusive and terrible and still be in charge, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the type of leader that a business school wants. So I would. I would say, you know, think about the fact that that schools are looking for leaders who are, you know, able to inspire others, who are able to work well with teams and do so in a way that is at a minimum pleasant, uh, if not downright friendly and kind and supportive of others. And, and ask yourself if you if you can identify an opportunity to step up at your job, maybe lift your head up off of, you know, out of your 
cubicle and sort of look around and say, well, is there something else I could be doing around here? Is there is there a suggestion that I have? Um, and going back to, you know, I think I think there is another another cultural difference that when I've spoken to some some candidates. You know, and I've said to them, well, have you ever like questioned something your boss did? Did you ever go to someone senior in your company and say, why do we do things this way? Why didn't we do it? And they're like, oh, I would never do that. Like I would get fired. And so I have a lot of a lot of empathy or sympathy for that, too, because like, I don't know, in the, in the U.S., it's, it's more it's 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 not expected, but it's it's OK for someone junior in the totem pole to say to someone senior, hey, have we thought about doing it this way and that you're not going to get fired for questioning the boss, but apparently that's something that can that people are afraid of. So, you know, if you cannot do that at work, then try to do that within some sort of community activity. Just at, just challenge yourself to step up and make a bigger impact if you can. And then, what about the, you, you mentioned the, the strategy of applying to a broader range of schools? And certainly, that seems to be a really good idea. You know, in many in many cases, although people are very brand conscious and ranking conscious. The truth is that there are a lot of schools where an MBA would allow someone to fulfill their ambitions and their dreams. And if you look at some of the schools that are actually hurting for international students, that would be a good place to, you know, sort of use your safety school strategy if you're an Indian applicant. For example, Vanderbilt, great school in Nashville, Tennessee, only 10% of the 2020 uh, cohort is international. That's really low. Texas A&M, 11%. UNC at Chapel Hill, you know, one of the great public universities in America, 11.5% international. Uh, even UVA Darden, 24%. Uh, UT Texas McCombs, another great school in Austin, Texas, only 15%. These schools badly want international applicants. Throughout the years of the Trump administration, uh, they've been disproportionately hurt because a lot of people didn't want to come to the United States to study. Those schools would be really good uh, schools to put on your list uh, and use as a hedge against some of the, you know, the, 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 the big brand schools that everyone applies to. What do you think of that strategy? Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's difficult to second guess, right? Because some of that was no doubt driven by the climate in the US, which has since changed. So I think that there is now a surge of interest from in- international applicants. So it could swing in the other direction. And so it's very difficult to second guess what that dynamic will, will be for those specific schools in the next intake. But I, I think, you know, the best strategy Maria said, it's to spread your bets, right? And to apply to a wider range of schools that you might otherwise have done. And, you know, hopefully a good opportunity will come up because it, it's always very difficult to sort of read the tea leaves and and assume that what has happened in the last cycle will, will repeat itself because the, these dynamics are, are always changing. Yeah, true. In other schools, okay, NYU Stern, 23%, um, Michigan Ross, 23%. USC, uh, Marshall School, 22%, Rice, 20%, Notre Dame, less than 20%, Wharton, listen to this, 19% international only, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this, this is also partially a result of the pandemic and people not being able to get here, 
but I think that there, there will be a growing appetite from these schools to get these numbers way up because these schools want generally a third uh, in the U.S. of their students to be international. What about giving up? Should someone give up in the face of the increased competition in, in one's inability to differentiate him or herself? Because in, in one area in particular from India, the software engineer educated with an engineering degree, that's the toughest road ahead. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree. But I think what I would say to people is really sit down and think about what your goals are. Is your goal to get a job in the United States, a well-paying, solid job? If that's the case, then yes, an MBA especially any MBA with a STEM certification that gets you that increased work, OPT works visa afterwards, that's going to be more than half of the battle right there. So if you are a smart, well-educated Indian engineer, you go to a program, maybe it's not a top 10 or even a top 20 program, but if it has that STEM certification, you know that your work visa is going to be Uh, assured for you, there's a pretty good job that some large tech company will be interested in hiring you, uh, especially if you are highly qualified. And so I think, first of all, like, again, spreading, spreading that risk, um, especially if, if, if scholarship is important for you in terms of not scholarship, like academic prowess, but scholarship in terms of scholarship money. So, you know, I, I think sometimes also there's a bit of sticker shock when it comes to, you know, any foreign degree in Europe or the U.S. And, you know, the, the the bigger your chances of getting, the, the higher of a spread there is between schools like, say, average GMAT and your GMAT, that's something to think about, too. So if you're from a country and you're really nervous about taking out, you know, 100, 150, 200,000 U.S. dollars in loans, look to a school that maybe has, you know, their average GMAT is maybe, I don't know, 50, 70, 100 points lower than yours, because I think that way you're maximizing your chances of getting a scholarship. And the other thing I would say is look also beyond the MBA. There are plenty of great STEM designated graduate programs in adjacent fields, such as, say, data analytics or, you know, quantitative finance or things along those lines that could still put you in similar tracks but that may be a little bit less difficult to get into. So just keep your, if your end goal in mind is, I want to get a tech job, a solid job in the tech industry in the United States, just realize that there are many paths to get there and don't let the pressure of the crowds or the sort of the brand consciousness of the crowds dissuade you from a path that might actually lead to really good outcomes for you. Yeah, really good advice. Caroline, some last words? I, I think it's uh, it's worthwhile starting as early as you can. and. You know, you mentioned what can you what you can do to stand out, and and you know, looking for projects that work to, to distinguish yourself. One area where Indian candidates are often weak is in the extracurriculars. So, typical case is that they've done a lot of great extracurriculars at college, right? They have led student clubs and organized conferences, and they've captained the cricket team and all of these wonderful things. But then all of those things fall by the wayside when they start work. And part of it is because, you know, there's an incredibly intense work culture and they're often working very long hours and they may have, uh, you know, a lot of family obligations that can be more common for Indian candidates who are applying to business school. Whereas, you know, your young American candidate is probably footloose and fancy free. That may not be the case for all of the Indian candidates. So, so they often have more time commitments and that can make extracurriculars more challenging. But 
that is an area, therefore, where you can distinguish yourself as a candidate. So I would encourage candidates to think very carefully about that, especially if they are looking at applying, um, you know, later, later on, maybe next year or the following year, focus on your extracurriculars as well, because that's often an area of weakness for Indian candidates that I see. Um, and I would also say that another issue sometimes with applications from Indian candidates is that they focus very much on the professional and professional accomplishments, academic accomplishments, and they don't necessarily think that their personal story is of interest to business school. And that's partly the culture of the educational system that they've been through, which is very much focused, as you said, on, on test taking and just meeting that bar and other things aren't so important. And, and as a result, sometimes they have some amazing personal stories that, that they don't bring up in their applications because they don't think it's of interest to the admissions committee. And, and sometimes their individual personality doesn't come through, right, because they're just very focused on writing this application in a, in a very sort of business-like style. And, and therefore, the individuality of the candidate can fail to come across. And so I think, you know, that's an area that that um, candidates can address quite easily, you know, if, if they realize that that personal story and understanding you holistically, not just your incredible accomplishments, but your whole story of what has shaped you beca to become the person that you are today, um, what experiences have been formative for you, um, what has had a big influence on your life. And, and some of those stories can end up being the most interesting part of the application and can really bring the application to life and add some color. And that that's an area where Indian applications are often lacking. So I would encourage candidates to think carefully about that as that's, that's um, sometimes an easy win where actually they have that, that material. It's just that they're not presenting it in their applications. Really good point. Yeah, there's a lot of good advice here, I think, for everyone. And you know, don't be discouraged. Apply to a broader range of schools. Uh, do try to differentiate yourself from the crowd. Uh, understand that a high GMAT and high GPA isn't going to just do the trick and automatically. Uh, you know, another, another area I think where some Indian applicants may have trouble is the recommendations. And I say this because, you know, in the United States in particular, it, it just seems culturally more acceptable to go overboard and to say, this is the best person I've ever worked with in my entire life. And you're not going to get that from a recommender in India, most likely, who will be much more sedate and, and much less enthusiastic in recommending the candidate. Am I right here? Yeah, that can be the case. And sometimes they will focus too much on, uh, on the technical expertise and I think that, you know, there's often sometimes candidates are concerned about the quality of the English of their recommenders. Ah, and right. therefore, they're, they're, um, I think there can be more of a tendency to for the candidate to write the application for the recommender and, and just give it to them because they're concerned about the English. And, um, you know, as we've discussed before, that 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 never works well. Right. That's never a good idea. And so candidates should be aware that schools are not that concerned about the grammar of your recommender or whether they have you know um whether they make uh, typos or you know their english is not perfect what they're looking to understand is, is the content and the key messages um they care about the candidate's english of course but it's it's not a um 
a writing exam for the recommenders. And so, you know, definitely you need to coach your recommenders so they understand what the school is looking for and and that it's not just about, for example, technical accomplishments. And, and also, you know, going back to the point we were saying about how they're looking to get a holistic sense of, of the candidate's personality and not just their professional accomplishments. And that's very useful for the recommenders to know. But, but um, you know, candidates should avoid the temptation to just write it for the for the for the recommender because I think that that happens way too often right absolutely so tell your story uh we are interested everyone is interested in your personal journey and your narrative uh people in admissions really want to know who you are not only what you've accomplished they want to know you know who's going to be in that class what kind of person are you what uh trials have you been through what have you overcome and that's another way, as pointed out here, to make yourself different and get yourself out of the pile. All right. We hope this has been helpful to all the folks out there in India who are aspiring to go to a business school in the United States in particular. A lot of this still applies to uh, the schools in Europe because the European schools are also oversubscribed with many applicants from India. So, Good luck to all of you. This is John Byrne with Parts and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual.